Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is a special episode. One, it's episode 40 of the Almost Sideways podcast. And we have some special guests along. So, as always, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. I'm joined by my co-hosts every time, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Fan-fantastic. Oh, wait, I shouldn't have dropped the F-bomb this early. <laughs> All right, and our, our special guests with us today are the, uh, the team that brings the Red and Brown podcast every week and Adam Daly Live YouTube. It is Ben Brown and Adam Daly. How's it going, guys? Hey, man, thanks for having us on. Thanks for giving me time to uh, chew the rest of my pizza. Oh, yeah. No, I swallowed no, all before you introduced us. No, no problem. <laughs> no problem. So, because I know that, you know, we try to, we'll clean it up a little bit today. I have a potty mouth. Potty mouth. I brought a taboo buzzer, so I'll try to, bu- I'll try to <laughs> stop buzz uh, Ben's uh, language here. Hell yeah. <clears throat> okay. hey, well, watch it. No help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna have some fun today. They're they're gonna be joining us for uh for part of the podcast here, uh. But to start us off, as always, uh, Todd, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Highland Bird <laughs> blended Scotch whiskey. Uh, it was like a twenty dollar big bottle of whiskey or Scotch. It's actually pretty good, you know, drinkable. Should make a robbery out of it, but you know. Do, do you actually have it in a cup, or are you just drinking? St- oh, there's the cup. Okay, I just saw the bottle and was gonna be concerned. You well, should only ever it. be drinking out of the bottle. <laughs> Especially a big bottle. Exactly. Exactly. Zach, what do you got today? I'm drinking uh, America's own Pabst Blue Ribbon, the national <laughs> drink of America, or America, as you'd like to say. And I'd like to add that. Uh, I got this PBR from a drive-through liquor store. You cannot get more American than that. God, and that's why we love. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam and Ben, what do you guys have? We have Red Hook ESB Extra yeah. Special Bitter Ale. No, that's what the ESB is. Extra Special Bitter. Yeah, extra Special Bitter. Yeah, that's what the label says. Five point eight percent. Oh, yeah. There you go. It's I'm about good. to crack into my fourth one, gentlemen. I was going to say, I can tell you've already, you're already in at least a few. <laughs> yeah, you shut up, man. Ex- extra biddle right there. <laughs> extra middle male. All right. Well, that's, that's drinking and dyslexia actually combining for a, for a perfect storm. There you go. So I've got uh, out of Lompoc Brewing in uh, Portland, Oregon, their premium Northwest Red Ale. It's called the Proletariat Red. So... Uh, yeah, six point two. Commie. Commies. <laughs> with our with our special guests here, we're gonna go a little out of order in this podcast. We're gonna start with our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And four power rankings this week. Uh Let's see here. Todd, you were the winner last time, right? As, As always. always. So, um, <laughs> so uh, give, us, give us what the running tally of our game is for power rankings right now, Todd. Okay, we have me at 12 and a half. 
Zach has seven and a half, and you have six. Terry. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, I have I have some opportunity to catch up this time because this is this is like the daily double of power rankings games because we're gonna try and guess both Adams and Ben's lists. But first, Todd, tell us what we are counting down today. Uh, so on June 17th, the MTB Movie Awards are going to happen. So I decided we should go back and look at uh, our favorite wins. Uh, from the MTV Movie Awards past. And so you go any category, any year, uh, doesn't matter how obscure or if it was a one-year category or anything like that. I think this will be a fun conversation for the five of us to have because we've never actually all done this together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we talk so much about the Oscars that it's, it's good to look at one that's a little different. Okay, so since we have Ben and Adam on the podcast with us, usually we do our game at the end, but they're going to be revealing their lists with us. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going to reveal our predictions before we start, but we're not going to let um, Ben and Adam know what our predictions are. So, uh, guys, if you could like turn off your audio or something, uh, just like mute, mute your computer, and I'll give you a thumbs up when we're good to go. Okay. Sounds good. Muting right now. Okay. <laughs> that was loud enough. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bye. So we've revealed our predictions, and and uh, you'll you'll know by our reactions how well we did, and uh, we'll talk about them then. Uh, so let's go ahead and go through our top five MTV Movie Awards given out. We're gonna start with Zach. Give me your number five. All right, my number five is the 1995 Best Movie winner, which was Pulp Fiction. Obviously a movie that, I mean, this emblematizes why the MTV Movie Awards exist, to serve as a remedy for the mistakes that the Academy Awards make. And uh, Pulp Fiction should have won Best Picture in 1994. Screw the Academy. I'm really giving it my number five because I really like Quentin Tarantino's acceptance speech. It's one of the few moments from the MTV Movie Awards that I actually remember. And his acceptance speech was... Pop quiz hotshot. You go to award shows all year long. You keep losing to Forrest Gump. It's annoying the hell out of you. What do you do? You go to the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> of course, of course, the one thing you remember is a quote from Speed. Um, <laughs> Todd, Which it beat that year, but that's okay. Todd, number five. All right, my number five is the 2006 sexiest performance, Jessica Alba in Sin City. Uh, she was also hosting that year. Uh, the other nominees were kind of lame and predictable that year. Other than Zhi Zhang was nominated for Memoirs of a Geisha. I'd be surprised if anyone in the audience had even seen the movie. But uh, Alba in Sin City like embodies sex appeal. I've always found her hotness a little overrated, but not in Sin City. This is a truly inspired win uh, for her. Like she's so like sexy in the movie that that even like is a major plot point that she even goes back to stripping after she gets saved at the end of the movie. So I this is definitely one of one of the top. Uh, the best wins that they've had. All right, all right. Adam, number five. Uh, number five for me, because you know, I absolutely love this movie. I have the best villain winner, Frank Costello from The Departed. Yes. All right. I am a huge fan of The That's Departed, funny. and having Jack Nicholson absolutely like busting the screen, screen as this main villain head of this gang organization was just a fantastic choice. I definitely miss Jack Nicholson as an actor. You know, a lot of his older 80s and 
beyond that. Stuff that he did was all fantastic. But have him like pop off the screen in the early two or the late two thousands was just a breath of fresh air. I, I loved his performance in The Departed. I thought he really balanced a uh, great menacing persona and balanced really well off of uh, DiCaprio and Damon's characters as well. So had to put a Departed film on this list. Not only he also does a great, awesome. great job doing cocaine in that movie. Excellent cocaine performance. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Not only did I have that, but I had it number five on your list, Adam. We're off to a good I start. Number one. All right, Ben, number five. My number five, and I narrowed this down to only the years that I'd actually watched the MTV Movie Awards. Ooh, I'm not going to nice. go back through 25 effing years of award shows. And be like, oh, that was cool. Oh, that was cool. Uh, ones that I actually watched happen. All right? <laughs> so it really narrows it down. Narrows it down <laughs> drastically. All right. So my number five is, it comes from the year 2000, best new filmmaker Spike Jones for being John Malcolm. <gasps> nice. So it, it was just, I mean, this movie just, blew, I was, it just blew me away. It was one of those things I was just watching the entire time, just like, just trying to figure out what was happening. Um, just watching John Cusack become John Malkovich was just, I mean, it was just wild. It was just a, a wild ride. And, it, yeah, so it's got to be my number five. Nice. And the fact that it was even, like, people in MT, like the MTV Movie Awards, people who voted on this saw being John Malkovich and then, like, were, like, aware of film enough to vote Spike Jones as Best New Filmmaker is kind of shocking. Okay, but did and they he's an really? He's amazing director. He has been since too. Yeah. Did they really watch being John Malkovich, or were they just they they just knew him because of his involvement with Jackass, though? Oh, that's a good. That's a good yeah, it is. Good conspiracy theory. But also, question. John Malkovich. See what I did John there? Cusack. I think, or they thought uh, it was Spike Lee. Before before that, you had Con Air, which was pretty uh, which was pretty uh, commercially accepted, and then you have John Cusack from everything from One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead to High Fidelity. So I think he's pretty he's pretty well ingrained into a uh, type of maybe middle aged MTV population that would definitely have voted for that film. All right, all right, all right. Okay, number five on my list is uh, is one. What did you guys expect for my number five? Yeah, I I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> if if I narrowed I it, tell you what I if I narrowed it down to what I to what I've only seen, then I wouldn't have a list. <laughs> uh, number five on my list is actually one that I've heard about though that was uh, kind of an interesting moment 1998 Lifetime Achievement Award goes to Clint Howard uh, I, I remember hearing about this and, and up until this point like the MTV Movie Awards the Lifetime Achievement was almost kind of like a joke at times just kind of giving it to these lower level guys and Clint Howard like really what felt honored by this by this whole thing and gave a really touching speech and from then on it actually became a, a serious category but i always have loved clint howard and all his little bit parts that he has so i'm going number five lifetime achievement award to clint howard do you think clint howard knew that it was a joke before then i have no idea i have no idea I bet he didn't know because he was like oh my god they're actually like hey let's give it to this weird looking mother effer because i mean why not and then he was like, "Oh my God, they they chose me, so I'm gonna write this freaking this next level acceptance speech." Like, "Oh God, now we have to be serious about it." Exactly. What do we do? Exactly. Now we have to be serious. Now we, we now next year we have to, to give Johnson it to Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> or Cy Cy from Apollo 13. I mean, there you go. Next year it goes to Michael Caine. <laughs> All right, Zach, number four. 
Uh, number four on my list is uh, a, a one that I predicted on Adam or Ben's list. I can't remember. It is the <laughs> 2000 Best Musical Moment Award, and it goes to Uncle oh. from South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. And, you know, the Oscars, of course, recognize Blame Canada as the better song. But as, as usual, the MTV Music Awards actually recognize the better song. And, you know, Terrence and Phillip have very underrated musical appeal, and I'm glad they got finally some recognition for it. Yeah, I think even like Stephen Sondheim like was he like wrote some critical acclaim for that movie, saying it's like one of the greatest musicals that's been written in the past however many years. He really loved all the music in that. And Stephen Sondheim is like this really amazing uh, musical playwright. We we for you uncultured f's. We we know who Stephen Sondheim is, Ben. <laughs> you don't. Or we you do? we do. We do. We do. Okay. All right, Todd, number four. I assumed you did. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Uh, my number four, I go to 1995 Best Dance Sequence, John Travolta and Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction, because it is probably the most iconic dance sequence in MTV Movie Awards era history, uh, and you know, you can never tell, that's like, it deserves its own category, and they basically did that at sometimes, like a lot of times they just have like one thing that they want to reward, so they just like, create a whole category for it, and this also just recognizes the whole scene, which is one of the best scenes in the movie, and they even have a reenactment, sort of, and be cool. So it definitely has its place in Hollywood pop culture lore. Yeah, so that is, uh, that's my number four, Pulp Fiction. Very nice, very nice. It's a good choice, good choice. Adam, number four. Uh, number four for me is an action sequence. I like my action sequences, and I, one of the biggest battles on any film is the Battle of Helm's Deep okay. from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I did not pull up the year for whatever reason. But anyway, when the Two Towers came out, uh, I read the that books. That was 2003. Right? Whatever. The, two, the books are fantastic as well. And I feel like seeing that battle play out on the big screen was just a, a fantastic, uh, amazing experience. Do you like Helm's Deep more than Gondor? Yes. Hmm. Uh, and I know that uh, Game of Thrones, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan too, and they tried to, they studied this sequence alone to... Uh, recreate the Long Night episode, which happened just a few weeks ago. So uh, you can learn a lot from this big battle sequence. I thought there was a lot of good moments, character moments throughout throughout this thing. Uh, some big ex machina stuff that happens at the very end of it, and uh, it's just a lot of fun seeing this big giant battle of our heroes going up against the odds. So yeah. a fantastic battle sequence for Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. For me. I had something from The Two Towers on your list, but it wasn't that, unfortunately. All right. Ben. Hair, Christopher Lee. <laughs> ben, number four. <laughs> My number four is 1997's best on-screen duo, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery for The Rock. Good one. <laughs> I'm I love so the fact close. That I'm totally torpedoing one all of your right choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your guys' predictions can go eat a lot of something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I really wish I knew what your guys' predictions were. Well, well, we'll reveal them at the end, what we predicted. Excellent. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else you want to say about that or just... I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just like when you thought James Bond didn't have anything left in him, he's throwing dudes off the sides of buildings and holding on to them and stuff. It's just like the way he gets into Alcatraz is so cool. Nicholas Cage is Stanley Goodspeed is so cagey as expected he's ridiculous and over the top in some spots 
How in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of your cell? <laughs> and then the door slides open. It's just one of the. It's, I, I love that one. That one scene. There's just so many great parts of uh, of uh, the Con Air when he stabs himself in the heart with that with that shot to save himself from the VX gas, and then pops the flare. It's not Con Air. Just for them to blow up the backside of the backside of Alcatraz. It was great. It was great. Ed Harris. Also, in this movie, not speaking in a German accent, just like he didn't do in Enemy at the Gates. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was just a great action film. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. And so we are actually doing a deep dive into The Rock on our next episode. We are. So. Hey, what if we are. Ed Harris spoke in a German accent in The Rock, but not in Enemy at the Gates? It's like, why is that American general awesome. a German? <laughs> All right, number four on my list, uh, 2003 Best Fight. And it is Count Dooku versus Yoda in Attack of the Clones. It, yeah. it, is, it, it almost made the entire movie worth watching. Um, yeah, is, totally. is waiting for that one fight scene where you finally see Yoda unleash it all. Uh, yeah, it was totally worth it. Uh, best part of that movie by far. Maybe the best part of the prequels. I'm not sure, but yeah. 2003, I Best Fight, Attack the Clones. I saw that movie in the theater, and the guy right behind me in the seat, like, right when Yoda, like, floated the lightsaber over to his hand, he started doing the Arsenio Hall, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And the guy next to him started clapping and shit. It was very, it was a very exciting moment in that film. That was great. It makes it even better after he's doing all the flips and stuff. He grabs his cane and starts uh, yeah, lifting he's, it again. Right he's like, oh, my God, I did that a little too tough. My arthritis. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I should not have done that. <laughs> All right, Zach, number three. All right, my number three is, was a one-time award. Should have been repeated. It is the 1996 Best Sandwich in a Movie. Yes! And the award went to the Ham and Cheese Sandwich in Smoke, which is a movie I've never seen. Um, per- <laughs> Actually, I'd never heard of it until uh, this, po- this podcast. Um, I personally would have gone... It, it beat out the Turkey Club Sandwich in Four Rooms and the Submarine Sandwich with Tomatoes and Provolone and Goldeneye. I would have gone personally for the sandwich that Farmer Hoggett eats in Babe and he gives a piece to the dogs. But... Uh, what about the sandwich that Pee Wee Herman makes in Pee Wee's Big Adventure? But this is 1996, Pickle, man. Or five. Oh, sorry. I mean... You know, we could talk about maybe this could be, be like a future power ranking all time greatest movie sandwiches, but um, I don't know why this award wasn't continued. It's sad, but it's it's a great uh, it's a great honor. The all time lowbrow for MTV. The all time greatest sandwich is the sandwich that Bill makes BB in Kill Bill Volume Two. I mean, that's yes. that, that's an amazing yeah. sandwich. It's because he uses that giant ass knife to get the mayonnaise out. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> all right todd number three well speaking of kill bill my number three is the 2004 best female performance for uma thurman for kill bill volume one and uh kill bill doesn't really seem like a movie that the mtv movie awards would have liked but it's cool that they actually gave an award to uh hit here and uma actually gets more recognition from there than she does from any other award circuit so i i kind of respect that she beat out the likes of halle berry in gothica Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Dates and Queen Latifah in Bringing Down the House. So, very esteemed company. Yeah, unforgettable. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, she lost the next year to uh, Lindsay Lohan for Mean Girls, which is a much more common winner. But I, I just love that Kill Bill actually got some legitimate recognition from uh, from the Empty Movie Wars here. Yes. Well done. Well done. Yes. Adam, number three. 
All right, number three for me is also a, an actor we're going to recognize here. Best actor for 1992 for Arnold Schwarzenegger for Terminator 2. Now, Todd has claimed on uh, episode, he's like, I feel like you guys talked about Terminator 2 and it's kind of overrated for me now. Or something to that effect, because we talked about it in one of the ter movie tournaments we did for ADL. Yes. Uh, but what I really liked about this performance is who he was going up against. He was going up against Kevin Costner for Robin Hood, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, uh, Robert De Niro for Cape Fear, Val Kilmer for The Doors, and Robin Williams for The Fisher King. Two of those were nominated for Oscars as well. I can uh, name one scene that sunk it for Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. We're not going to talk about that. We're talking about Terminator 2. Terminator 2, I, I love uh, Arnold's performance here because he, he was the bad guy in the first one, but he also came out as this kind of like a goofy at times, uh, but also very machine performance mm -hmm. here. I, I, I'm a, a big fan of Terminator 2, so I'm going to give it a good win for Arnold here. First acting, of no less. <laughs> Beautiful. Well done. My number three. Go, go, Ben. Is, go, just go. Go. Is, is 1996 best villain Kevin Spacey in Seven. Oh, nice. I think he is just he is the acting tour de force. He puts on at the end while in the back of that police car being taken out to the desert to find Gwyneth Paltrow's head in that box. I uh, was just I mean the way he the way he just deconstructed Brad Pitt psychologically in that scene was amazing. And uh their first confrontation in the hallway when they didn't even know it was Kevin Spacey but then he just started shooting at him in the hallway when they were about to uh, break into his apartment. I thought that part was just super tense. When he reveals himself as the villain when he walks into the when he walks into the uh the police department and he just goes detectives and everyone turns around and like they just they just, they take him into custody right then it was just like he's just an excellent mastermind he just i think he just really he really played it perfectly he played his game perfectly out in that film so yeah kevin spacey or, draws uh, draws his villainy from real life uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah that that was actually was actually go ahead go ahead terry uh, i was gonna say that was actually one of my uh when we counted down our favorite spoilers uh last podcast uh that was one of mine was uh the reveal that kevin spacey was john doe was one of my top spoilers like of all time. Yeah, I I figured that out because I'd seen. I think I just I, I recognized his voice when he was on the phone, mm. and I had to like rack my brain for a long time. I was watching the movie. I was like, "Who is that guy?" I know I know that voice from somewhere, and I was like, "Oh, I think that's I think that might be Kevin Spacey." And then he revealed himself too. It was like, but yeah, when he was on the phone, like his voice kind of revealed it too. And he's in the staircase taking those pictures of Brad Pitt. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, we can continue off from there. All right. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Number three on my list, 1997 breakthrough performance. Matthew McConaughey for A Time to Kill. Uh, this is a very good movie. And when I saw that he won this at the MTV Movie Awards, I was kind of shocked. Uh, this is one that should have gotten some recognition at the Oscars, and it didn't. He was amazing in that movie. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, for him to get recognized that on MTV for it was uh, was pretty awesome. So yeah, that's my number three, and it re it really rang true. I mean, that really was a breakthrough performance for him. Although it should have been for Days and Confused. Well, there is that. All right. Yeah, I mean, Wilson all time. <laughs> Zach, number two. 
My number two is the 1996 Best Female Performance, which went to Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. Uh, great performance. <laughs> One of the all-time iconic classic 90s movies. It's a top 50 all-time movie for me. As if. Um, and I did note while doing research for this list, very rigorous research, that the first five uh, Best Female Performance winners were also not incidentally the most uh, the first five winners of the most desirable female category. Did you realize that? Oh, it, interesting. It, 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 very, very interesting. Which I think is somewhat creepy and clueless given the fact that she's suppo- supposed to be only 16 years old, but we'll give that a pass. It's not as creepy as the fact that she ends up banging her brother at the end of the movie, but we're just going to move on from all that. Great movie, great performance, total MTV. Mo- that's This is what the MTV Movie Awards were meant for, is for Alicia Silverstone clueless. I mean, come on, let's get real. There you go, there you go. Todd, number two. Alright, my number two is a 2007 Orbit Dirtiest Mouth Moment, which went to Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith for Clerks 2, for which they received a lifetime supply of Orbit gum. <laughs> that I think is awesome. Uh, anytime Jay and Silent Bob give some love, it's worth noting. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because Silent Bob doesn't talk, and so I don't really know how he gets a dirty mouth, but uh, whatever. The... Uh, the other nominees were the likes of Steve-O and Jackass number two, and then Alicia Keys in Common and Smoke and Aces and Dax Shepard and Efren Ramirez in Employee of the Month, which actually are some strong nominees for this type of category, but I don't, I've seen uh, Muse and Smith do stand-up, and like that is the embodiment of who they are, is like Jay and Silent Bob, so this is, a, this is an awesome win, and a, a really cool category, which only happened once, so, you know, it's one of, the, one of those things. <laughs> All right, awesome, awesome. Adam, number two. Uh, okay, number two. It's uh, the first year that they did this award back in 1992 was the Best New Filmmaker Award, and it went to John Singleton from Boys in the Hood. R.I.P. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. That's one reason why I put him on my list. I just want to give a little, like, recipes to John Singleton. What a, a great filmmaker he was. And that film, I just watched it for the first time, like, a few uh, a couple years ago, and it was just like really enjoyed uh, everything. It was uh, kind of a uh, whirlwind of emotions watching that film, but I thought John Singleton did a really good job and really showcased what he was able to do as a filmmaker. All right. Good choice. Good choice. Increase the peace. Guys, my number two is from 1992, the Best Movie Award for There's Something About Mary. <laughs> I said 1999, right? Was I said 1992? You said 92. Sorry, I said 99. I said my number two, and I said 92, sorry. 1999, best movie, There's Something About Mary. Terry loves Brothers. Movie. Terry loves the movie. I hate it's that movie. Great. It's effing great. I hate that movie. It's so funny. Matt so Dillon is hilarious stupid. in that movie. Matt Dillon is so funny in that movie. Brett Favre. Like second second to The Outsiders for Matt Dillon. <laughs> Just kidding, it's not second to the outside. But it's just funny. It's stupid, it's funny. Of course it would win uh, Best Picture from from MTV. But Ben Stiller's hilarious in it. It's got Brett Favre. It's got got Dominic Woganowski. His name is Chris... It doesn't matter who his name is. I don't remember. But he was also in (laughs) Cabin Boy. But he's... uh, And he did a couple years in Saturday Night Live. He's a super... Chris Elliott. It's just... uh, just very very funny movie yeah and i've seen it if i've seen it once i've seen it it. a couple dozen times it's just it's one of my favorite comedies but it beat out saving private ryan 
which lost to Shakespeare in Love. So both these movies, Shakespeare in Love and There's Something About Mary, are no Saving Private Ryan. So anyway. Yeah, but why would you expect Saving Private Ryan to be nominated by or win an award from MTV? Number two on my list, uh, like uh, like a couple of you guys have said, uh, MTV Movie Awards kind of have a tendency at times to right some wrongs that were done by the Academy. And the biggest of those is my number two, which is 1999 Best Male Performance to Jim Carrey of The Truman Show. Um, he, uh, yeah, he was the best performance that year, and he wasn't even nominated by the Oscars. Uh, he still has never been nominated. It's kind of ridiculous uh, that he it's didn't because even... because he was in Once Bitten and Earth Girls Are Easy. Probably, That's why but he will never, ever be nominated. It, it's it's kind of ridiculous, and uh, this was the mo- like one of the most egregious snubs ever. And so uh, I when I saw that he won, I had to put it on my list. So he's number two. Zach, number one. All right, number one um, goes to Best Villain, the 1995 MTV Movie Awards. First of all, the 1995 MTV Movie Awards, it never got better than this. I mean, it, it gave out a crap ton of awards to Pulp Fiction and Speed, which were two of the best movies that year. And the best villain that year went to Dennis Hopper and Speed. And uh, it's, you know, I know you talked earlier about Jack Nicholson in uh, The Departed, but let's get real, okay? Dennis Hopper and Speed is the greatest movie villain maybe of all time. And just remember, he's, poor people are crazy. He's eccentric. And, uh, you know, it's his nest egg, Jack. At his age, he's got to think ahead. You know, he's got the gold watch and uh, fingers numbering nine. He was that, you know, very upset member of the Atlanta Police Department for many years. And, uh, you know, he's just thinking about his future. Exactly. He's an encyclopedia of bombs. He knows everyone and everything they do to defuse it, including Jeff Daniels, you know, trying to defuse the bomb and then, you know, meeting his end, unfortunately. Great year for Jeff Daniels, too. He should have got some recognition in 94. The only reason he was in Speed was to feel bad about somebody dying in Speed. Because everybody on the bus was dumb enough for you to not feel bad about them dying. You know? Hey, you know... Like that, that lady... Well, the lady... lady who tried to step, the lady who tried to yes. step across the... Tr- she knew, don't step but on those she, steps to try to go yes. off because you're going to die. What happened? She steps on the steps. Bomb goes off. She dies. Dummy... Don't step on those steps. I don't feel bad that that happened. You can knew it was going to happen. Can we get Ben for our deep dive of speed, please? That is some amazing <laughs> yeah. analysis. I've, I swear to God. Hey, hey. I've, I read an article about the physics of why that bus would immediately drop once it tried to jump over that overpass. Yeah, they did a whole Mythbusters episode about it. Yeah, it, it's it ridiculous. Was... Oh, sorry, All right. guys. Sorry. Oh, no, you're Go good. Ahead. Todd, number one. <laughs> All right, my number one, I went with uh, my one of my favorite on-screen duos, 1992 best on-screen duo, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey in Wayne's World. Hell yeah. Uh, Classic. Because, you know, I think Mike Myers especially needs to squit, quit screwing around with being in Bohemian Rhapsody and shit and, like, actually make another Austin Powers in Wayne's World because that is, like, what his future, where his future lies. That's what he's going to do. Like, just come on. We need another movie. And, I don't know. Wayne and Garth, they're, they're as good as it gets. I... I, I love it's a total MTV award to give out to for uh, for Wayne's World then yeah that's got to be my number one. How did Wayne's World not win Best Film in '92? I mean, no offense, with all due respect to Terminator 2, but Wayne's World's like the ultimate M- early '90s MTV movie. Adam, number one. All right, speaking of the all-time greats, uh, number one for me is 1995's Best Dance Sequence, Pulp Fiction. Nice. Uh, again, like everything I Todd said was just like, an iconic sequence. Yeah, I probably should have put like the best film because it's one of those. They don't really. Uh, 
you know, recognize Tarantino's work as much as they should. For the bigger, bigger awards. More recently, I guess they have, but the uh, Tarantino with Pulp Fiction, that's just like his, uh, his crowning achievement in filmmaking. It was one of his better film, best film, I would, I would say. And that dancing with such, such iconicness, uh, so much iconicness. That iconicness. Word, that word <laughs> is amazing, and Uma uh, Thurman and John Travolta's uh, chemistry are uh, un, un It's just amazing. Those, yeah, their their uh, chemistry is off the off the page. So, so, so Adam, yeah, I think cool. I think the reason you couldn't say that word is because it's not a word. Yeah, <laughs> it's difficult to make it's up like, new words on the fly. Yeah, yeah. It it's is. like robot <laughs> robot malfunction there. It's like <laughs> <laughs> cannot compute. <laughs> All right, Ben, number one. My number one is from 1996, the Next Generation Award for George Clooney for From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> this movie was just, I mean, I, I Cheech Marin, Ridiculous. Selma Hayek, Quentin Tarantino, Michael Parks. I mean, we, we talked about Michael Parks during the Adam Daly Live show for uh, his, his dual roles in Kill Bill. But, I mean, From Dusk Till Dawn is just awesome. And, oh, oh, so check this out. If I may tell a little a personal story about From Dust Till Dawn. No, thank you. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was raised, my, my, my dad's a Christian pastor. I was very restricted to what types of films I could watch when I was a kid. Couldn't watch sexual things, but I could watch Rambo and like Braddock Missing in Action and all that other type of stuff. So me and my friends were watching From Dust Till Dawn, and I was recording onto my computer the, the sound clip from when Cheech Marin is introducing you to the, the whorehouse, and he's talking about all the different types of stuff you can get when you go into that bar. So we have the TV turned up full blast, and I'm holding my microphone that's plugged into the speakers on my computer like across the room, like all the way across the room, and I'm reaching it just to make sure I can pick it up. And so you hear Cheech Marin, we got whore, we got, like all the stuff he's saying. If you've seen From Dust Till Dawn, you know what I'm talking about. Since you guys don't allow swearing, I'm imagining you all like <laughs> saying what Chief Marin says on the, in the film. But right as he gets done saying that, right, right when the scene cuts from Chief Marin to the, in, the interior of the bar, my dad bursts into the room and you hear on the microphone, he's like, hey, what are you guys watching? <laughs> nice. And we got, I got in trouble for watching From Dust Till Dawn with all my friends from school. Very embarrassing. Your pastor father breaks in and he's like, you guys aren't allowed to watch that because it's... It's sexually sinful. Nice. It must have been there. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, number one on my list is, uh, I actually have a tie, because back-to-back -back years in 2004, 2005, best fight went to Kill Bill. So I had to put both of them at the top. So uh, in 2004, in Volume 1, it went to uh, Uma Thurman and uh, Chiaki Kuriyama, who played the, uh, the Japanese assassin girl. I forget her name. I can't remember it right now. Go-Go. Go-Go. There you go. Go-Go Yugari, yeah. And then uh, Volume 2, it was uh, it was Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah uh, for that yes. that epic battle. I mean, Kill Bill, I, they're some of my favorite movies. And like Todd said, this is the one spot where they actually got recognition. So uh, I had to I had to show that they uh, how, how awesome they are by putting it number one. And like I said, back-to-back -back wins for the same category. I had, to, I had to go with that. So there you go. My number one. Yeah, shout out to the uh, Adam Daily Live Show and Red and Brown Podcast. I chose Beatrix Kiddo as my all-time favorite movie mom. Ooh, so, nice. Uh, she, nice. She took number one for me. Uh, second was Sarah Connor. All right, all right. 
Okay. So let, let's. Are, are, do we have any honorable mentions, Zach? Do you have any honorable mentions you wanna you wanna throw out there? I was gonna bring up the Clint Howard uh, Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award. Um, that was wonderful in its randomness. I, I want to know more about that. I think it deserves its own, like, you know, ESPN 30 for 30, but about that moment. Kind of like Mickey Rourke's I IFC acceptance speech or whatever. No video evidence exists of it, so, as what, so far as I've found, <laughs> which is tragic. I would love to have seen that. Uh, Todd, got honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, my honorable mentions are 1998 breakthrough performance for Heather Graham in Boogie Nights. Yes. Uh, we talked about how underrated we thought she was in that movie. Uh, the 2014 best musical moment of uh, Backstreet Boys, Jay Baruchel, Seth Rogen, and Craig Robinson in This Is The End, when they were all going to heaven, which is pretty awesome. And then the 2001 best dance sequence, uh, Cameron Diaz in Charlie's Angels for Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel. Because I can't hear that song and not think of her wearing those like tidy whities like dancing around her her apartment. It's a great scene, underrated movie. It's a good one. It's a good one. Adam, honorable mentions. Well, as tradition, I have several here. Uh, obviously, we had to talk about Twilight. You know, it's winning four consecutive years for we best movie we, we and also best kiss. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Twilight's no. Don't Twilight's forget the best shirtless moment by Taylor Lautner. I was actually oh, I thinking know, about right? that too. Don't yeah. forget the best worst actors. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, but for real now, I have uh, 2014's best musical moment for "This Is the End" with the Backstreet Boys going to heaven sequence. I have uh, 1995's best villain. <laughs> Uh, Dennis Hopper, Howard's Payne character, just to get good points for uh, for Zach there. Uh, also, best villain, The Joker for The Dark Knight in two, for 2009. Uh, 2002's best new filmmaker, Christopher Nolan from Memento. And my last one, 1993's best kiss between Christian Slater and Marissa Tomei for Untamed Heart, just because Slater kissed. Uh, it's Marissa Tomei. That's why it wins. So, best kiss. <laughs> All right. All right. Ben, do you have any honorable mentions? I do. I didn't. Uh, I had come up with these at the top of my head because I didn't write them down. But uh, I didn't write down Dennis Hopper as best villain because Kevin Spacey beat him out for me, so I have to mention him as a, uh, as an honorable mention. Also, I think it was Mission Impossible won uh, best best film, or maybe Tom Cruise for his what, Mission Impossible won something in 1996. So. Uh, yeah, that one. I can't remember exactly what it is, so I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to misquote it. But then, 1997, Brad Pitt, sexiest male. There we go. Of course. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. Good, good he stuff. he won that like three times in five years or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Of course. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> All right. He was in Legends of the Fall, bro. He's not going to get voted sexiest male for taking his shirt off and having long hair. He got he got voted sexiest male for like Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, it wasn't for Legends of the Fall. It was for Interview of the Vampire in 7. Yeah, there we go. Mm. He didn't win for 12 Monkeys? I'm... <laughs> yeah, go figure. Go figure. All right. Um, honorable mentions for me. Uh, there were a couple on-screen duos that I thought were pretty great. 2013 on-screen duo went to Ted for uh, Mark Wahlberg and Seth MacFarlane. And uh, 1996 on-screen duo went to uh, uh, Chris Farley and David Spade for Tommy Boy. Uh, so I had I had to throw that in there. Uh, 1995 best kiss was uh, was uh, Jim Carrey and Lauren Holly for Dumb and Dumber, which um, is like one of the funniest kisses yeah I've I've ever seen on in a movie. And then uh, 2003 uh, best virtual performance Andy Serkis Two Towers as Gollum uh, had to throw that in there too. Okay, 
So uh, now we can reveal to you guys what our what our picks were, and I don't even know who won. I got I was one for ten. That's all I know. <laughs> so I was one for ten, but I also I had a Nicholas Cage on screen duo the year before the or year after the one that actually was named. <sighs> so I feel like that might be a tiebreaker. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Half a point for that one. So <laughs> I, I I got I had okay, Zach. How did you do? Uh, 0 for 10. 0 for 10. Not even close. <laughs> let, let, let us Hell know yeah. what your what your predictions were. Okay, so for, for Ben, I had number 5, 2015 Best Male Performance, Bradley Cooper and American Sniper. Number 4, 1999 <laughs> Best Male Performance, Jim Carrey and The Truman Show. Number 3, 2002 Best Screen On-Screen Duo, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, The Fast and the Furious. Number 2... <laughs> 2000 best musical moment uncle oh. from south park maker longer and uncut really really sad you you didn't include that one ben and uh number one uh 1996 best battle scene in Bra- braveheart which i think i looked earlier and i don't actually think that won so i really just was, it was a total mess up <laughs> todd what was your list for ben uh, I had 1993 Most Desirable Female, Sharon Stone, and Basic Instinct. Uh, 1994 Best Movie, Menace to Society. <coughs> 2002 Best Cameo, Snoop Dogg, and Training Day. Huh. 1998 Best On-Screen Duo, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage for Face Off. And oh, I, number one, I had 1995 Best Movie, Ben's Favorite Movie of All Time, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> which somehow <laughs> was not on his list. That's funny. You know, I tell everybody, as like... <laughs> I'm not sure what my favorite movie is, but according to my friends Adam and Todd, my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, well, my list, yeah, I was, I was over on Ben's list, too. So I had number five, 2016 Best Comedic Performance, Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool. Uh, number four, 2001 Best Line from Meet the Parents. Are you a pothead fucker? Um, number th- just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> number three, uh, 2013 best WTF moment was uh, Django Unchained for Candyland getting burned down. Uh, number two, 2007 Dirty Mouth moment, Clerks two, and number one was 2018 best fight, uh, Wonder Woman versus World War One. Oh yeah, that was a great. That was a great fight scene. See, see. <laughs> oh. All right, you didn't watch good. it that year. Okay. You guys would be shocked at my personal what my top ten would be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Zach, what was your Adam list so we can see how Night- horrible you did? Okay, number five was 1992 Lifetime Achievement Award, Jason Voorhees. Number four was 2005 Best Video Game Based on a Movie, Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. Uh, number three, uh, 1996 Best Fight, Adam Sandler versus Bob Barker and Happy Gilmore. <laughs> I was thinking about that one. <laughs> Number two, best 1995 Best Comedic Performance, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. And number one, really disappointed you didn't have this one, Adam. 1997 Lifetime Achievement Award, Chewbacca. How do you miss that? Ian. Because the Wikipedia page didn't have those ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I was on Wikipedia. Uh, okay, well, at least I didn't see it. I'm blind, apparently. <laughs> All right, Todd. Todd, uh, let us know how All you right. did. Uh, my number five I had for him was uh, 1996 Best Movie, 7. Uh, 2016 Best Male Performance, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. 1997 Lifetime Achievement Award for Chewbacca. 2002 Best New Filmmaker, uh, Christopher Nolan in uh, Memento. And uh, 2007 Best Villain, Jack Nicholson in The Departed. All right. So you got one right. However, I got one right, and I had it in the right spot. So I've got number five, 2007 Best Villain, Jack Nicholson, Departed. Uh, number four, I had 2017 Best Comedic Performance, Lil Rel Howry and Get Out. 
2003 Best Virtual Performance, Andy Serkis, Two Towers. Uh, 1993 Best Comedic Performance, Robin Williams in Aladdin. And uh, number one Best Villain uh, from 2009, Heath Ledger, Dark Knight. I actually had a little uh, how raise uh, wrote down on my paper, though. Dude! That, that doesn't give me any points, though, but hey... Ball, all right, all right. So, so who wins this? You guys get a pick. Who wins this? So I got not your number five in number five. Todd also got it. He thinks his getting a Nicolas Cage duo thing is a, a, year, a off. year off is is something. But you laughed the most of my lists. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Terry gets a point no matter what because he got the same one, the same character. Okay. Same spot. So I get the point for Adams, and and Todd gets the point for Ben's. Let's go with that. He gets a half a point for Ben's list. Half a point for Ben's. Half a point for Ben's list. Ben's list for getting half of one of them right. (laughs) I had to decide between between The Rock and Face Off. It was a real. It was a tough decision, but I just thought, just the, the, I just took into account the the Stanley Goodspeed's character. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is, this is awesome analysis. Yeah. And uh, and Zach, because you're just amazing, you get like point two points for just just your list. <laughs> point two. Thank you. Points. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's point three points that are just ungiven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. There. Actually, point three is... points go to, that goes to Ben. For being the wild card, you guys got zero out of five. Yeah, he, he gets to he gets to keep those point three points for stumping us all. It's, it's like a layaway system. We just use them for another yeah. time. Well, and 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 Ben figured put that hammer on Ben figured out Ben figured out the key to all of our power rankings list, which is set up your own arbitrary rules that nobody else knows about before you reveal your list. That's what we do every single time, and by we I mean Todd and Zach. <laughs> I was going to do that, and then and then uh, Adam's like, "No, don't give him any hints." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to give you guys a hint before we started. Dude, rolling. that wouldn't have been a hint at all. I have no. <laughs> I would have given you the years I watched them. Oh, oh well, that would have been different, but. Yeah, no, I would have told you. I would have said I only watched it between '96 and 2001. Okay, well, yeah. If you That's if you I had given you guys that five or six year gap, if you had just said I limited it to years that I've watched it, that wouldn't have done anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I felt I was being rebellious uh, of those years because my parents didn't let me it, watch MTV. It would have been interesting to guess which years you watched it. Oh, that yeah. could have been that could have been another pointless conversation. <laughs> As most podcast conversations are. As most are. <laughs> All right. Well, this was definitely fun. Uh, we've got our uh, our uh, our podcast our power rankings out there now. Um, I think I get a pick. Do I get to pick the next one then? Because I get the most points out of this. I'm going to say I get to pick the next one. Okay. Uh, so, so you, you uh, are now only a half point behind Zach in our... No, uh, no, I'm like point seven behind Zach, right? No, point seven, yeah. Because I got point two, <laughs> Todd. Don't forget. <laughs> we were actually doing it that way. Yeah, yeah. We're doing it uh, that way. And I have a point three that I can donate oh. to whoever I, whomever <laughs> I choose. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Adam and Ben, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us for our power rankings. Uh, you guys want to plug wherever, uh, everyone can find you. Hell yeah. Adam. Well, if you like Bargain Whiskey, a podcast, we're the Evan Williams, so you guys is Jack Daniels. You can find us on YouTube and Podbeam at Red Brown Podcast. Also Instagram and Twitter at Red and Brown Podcast. 
uh, putting together a couple reactions, uh, a couple trailer reactions. We do movie reviews, all types of fun stuff, uh, rankings and things like that. Actor retrospectives on our on our uh, on our podcast. We just recently released uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, or excuse me, uh, best actor director combos just came out today actually on uh, Mother's Day. And then in about a week, we're going to be releasing uh, top five Keanu Reeves films. Yeah. And you can also I make a brief appearance on that. Yeah. We asked your help several times. We, we had you fact check some stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, you can also find us on Adam Daily Live, which is a YouTube channel. And you can find me on Twitter at Adam Sideways. So. Totally. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining. This was a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, take care. Have fun watching movies. Right, yeah. Thanks, guys. See ya. We'll see you later. All right, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks again to uh, to Adam and Ben for uh, joining us for power rankings. Uh, Todd, you actually have our updated tallies now for power rankings. So tell us what those are. Yes. So uh, I am finally off to half points. I have thirteen points. Zach has seven and seven tenths points, <laughs> and. Terry has seven. And that's that's what we get for letting Adam decide how the points are divvied up. <laughs> and don't forget and don't that forget, Ben has point three. Yeah, Ben has point three <laughs> points. Yeah. I don't know how you can win your own trivia <laughs> or power rankings, but well, because because we got nothing. None of us got anything off his list, so he got a, he got a little bit of love from it. Uh, okay. Well, now let's go to uh, what we usually start our podcast with, and that is looking at um, at some movies and movie reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. Uh, Todd, you're gonna start us off with the movie we're looking at today, and what we are looking at is the uh, new movie. It's been out for oh, a little over a week now. Uh, from uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, Long Shot. So tell us what this is about and what you thought. Okay, so this movie is directed by Jonathan Levine, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, and uh, it is about a guy named Fred Flarsky, which is played by Seth Rogen, and, but it sounds more like a Rob Schneider character name or something. But he is a shock journalist for a publication that uh, gets sold to a giant media conglomerate owned by Parker Wimbley, who is played with insane makeup by Andy Serkis. Circus, and, uh, dude. So he... Circus. Come on. Are you sure? Yeah, it's Andy Serkis. I think it's Serkis. Okay, well, <laughs> it's, either way. It's an... Serkis? S-E-R-K-I-S. Dude. Maybe Serkis Theron should you've been, fix his you've name. Been th- you've been listening way too much to Ben and Adam, man. <laughs> Circus ends with a U.S. No, it, I don't know. Whatever. Keep going. So, okay, so uh, Fred, he quits his job and goes out with his longtime buddy, played by uh, O'Shea Jackson. And he, they, he get, they get pretty drunk, and he runs into his childhood crush, slash the uh, current Secretary of State, Charlotte Field, played by... Oscar winner Charlize Theron, and uh, they hit it off. So she decides she's going to employ Fred as her speechwriter to boost her sense of humor approval rating on some globe-spanning environmental policy tour. And it sort of evolves or devolves into a gender-swapped version of the American president. And uh, the movie is written by Dan Sterling, whose only screen credit is uh, the Interview and 
Liz Hannah, whose only credit is The Post. So you put those movies together and you kind of get uh, what this movie is going to be like. Although it is significantly better than those movies because uh, the direction by Levine or Levine is uh, is actually really good. He hasn't made a real good movie in a, quite a while, like over a decade. He, he did The Wackness and All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. But he, I haven't given a thumbs up to anything since then. Although 50-50 did show some a different side of him and some potential that he could make a good movie like this. Uh, there's a mer- moment early on in Longshot where uh, Charlotte and Fred are discussing a speech, and she says something to the extent of, so I should just, like, talk about the past and bring up nostalgia? Is that funny? And Fred says, well, it's a good start. And that kind of sums up the movie. Like, we get a lot of... Uh, the soundtrack is filled with things like Word Up and a song from Pretty Woman that we hear twice, and we even get Boys to Men in concert. And But then it's also very 2019 with, like, references to Game of Thrones, Captain America, and Lance randomly cheering uh, Wakanda forever. Uh, the, yeah, that was the, totally the, random. This is why the, the movie kind of works. So, like, it is able to find balance and not and not seem jumbled. Uh, the, and I think the ensemble cast is pretty awesome. The ones I mentioned, plus Bob Odenkirk as a TV star turned president, and Alexander Skarsgård as the Prime Minister of Canada with an atrocious accent and laugh. And then you got guys like Paul Shear, Birdie from uh, the TV show Love, but uh, June Diane Raphael's a standout. She plays Maggie, the uh, assistant or staff supervisor or something. I had only recognized her from New Girl, but she has this, like, really dry, unlikable, irresistible sense of humor, and I really took to it, and she's my supporting actress winner so far this year. And, uh, I think the long shot is, like, certainly ambitious. Like, it's over two hours, but I don't really mind because the laughs keep coming, And but at the same time, it's, like, so rapidly paced in its dialogue that it could have been a lot longer, and so I think this is a kind of a trim two hours and five minutes or whatever it is. And uh, the same way that Charlotte is charmed by Flarsky, we are somehow charmed by this movie and its brilliantly drawn characters. And we get swept up in Flarsky's fight for the environment and for him to actually think that he is capable and deserving of love. I think it's an endearing movie and kind of fantastic. I give it three and a half stars. Ooh, all right. Three and a half stars from Todd. I'm going to go next because... My opinion is very different than yours. Uh, I thought, Shocker. yeah, yeah. Um, it I, as this movie started, I thought that uh, I didn't think it was very funny at all. Um, I, I thought it was it was trying too hard. It just wasn't working for me. Uh, what really brings it around is the chemistry between Charlie Theron and Seth Rogen. Uh, they, I mean, they play this odd couple, and it really is an odd couple, but it really works. And that, that's the one thing that this movie has going for it. And I don't know if it's if it's as much the chemistry as it is. Charlize Theron is very good in this movie. But um, it, when she's not on screen, I think the whole thing suffers a little bit. Um, but yeah, you're, you're charmed by their, by their relationship and their chemistry, but um, not much else, I think works everything else is just waiting for when you get to see them on screen again together i think bob odenkirk's character is just stupid and completely unfunny and i mean i you totally get what some of that stuff is going for and it's just it's more stupid than than going for laughs and it's it it, we've talked before how stuff like that when you're trying to do that social commentary when you're hitting people over the head with it with a with a sledgehammer it just it and then expecting it to be a laugh it doesn't work um 
but uh, I, I liked them, and I think they did they did well. Uh, I thought the the uh, Seth Rogen O'Shea Jackson um, relationship felt a little forced at times, especially when you first meet them, and just trying to build up how opposite they are at times. It just, it just was felt weird. Uh, I'm giving it two stars, and like I said, the only reason it's getting that is because of the chemistry that the two leads have. Um, but I, I was not, I was not charmed by it as much as you were. So, uh, Todd gives it three and a half. I give it two. Zach, break the tie. No, oh, I, I love when we get in these situations when, you know, one of us gets to break the tie and I'm definitely going to break the tie on this one. And in this case, I almost 100%, even right down to the star rating, pretty much totally agree with Terry. This was not a funny movie. I watched and waited for it to get funny. I was hoping it would get funny. There were things on screen that people in the audience were laughing at, and I did not find it funny at all. Uh, I didn't find the relationship believable in any way. We're supposed to believe that this woman is, first of all, that the title is wrong. She's not the long shot, okay? She's the favorite throughout the movie. The movie makes it very clear. Now, I guess if they're referring to their relationship, then whatever. But I think the movie wants to of have this kind of... Of referring to their relationship. It, it wants to be a clever double entendre, okay? And, and, and it's not, because she's the favorite throughout the entire movie, okay? They even say that he's the long shot. Uh, I'm, I don't know. Another thing that I really hate about this movie that's somewhat random is I hate the poster on IMDb for this movie. And maybe it's it, maybe you've seen this poster. It is this totally photoshopped image uh, from two different scenes in the movie. One is where uh, uh, Seth Rogen is doing a selfie and he's giving a peace sign. And then Charlize Theron is giving like the Nixon two-hand two peace sign. Those are from separate scenes in the movie. It's obvious how photoshopped that, that poster is. Anyway, it doesn't have much to do with the movie, but it's you know, one of the things that bothers me. Um, I don't know. This movie had no guts. You know, it, 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 it really just kind of wanted to be yet another kind of Seth Rogen you know, gets this hot girl type type uh, movie and it ultimately you know even the Charlize Theron character she really doesn't have any backbone in the movie she just really the, the whole reveal of her is you know she's just and at the end of the day a stoner herself who wants to party and live the Seth Rogen lifestyle and uh, she has no conviction no backbone and it's really a, a very skin deep and and I don't know kind of stupid look at politics um, I maybe it's we're, we're living in a byproduct of, of you know the, the, the world that we live in today where we have uh, political movies that are written this poorly but I would think that 20 years ago this movie would have been much sharper much more intelligent have a lot more poignant things to say about the nature of relationships and politics you know you look at a movie like the American president or even Dave which were so much better written and and frankly so much funnier too even with the, the sharp wit and the sharp kind of acumen about political life uh, intact um, I felt like the movie uh, wasn't uh, brave enough to make statements about the integrity of politicians or lack thereof. Uh, we didn't want to have seen, it, it tried too carefully to avoid Seth Rogen mansplaining to Charlize Theron about why she should actually get conviction in her beliefs. Um, and therefore, we didn't really get a lot of conviction on, on either end. Um, again, it, it just, it was impossible for me to believe that someone could be this successful and honestly hire someone someone like the Seth Rogen character to be a part of her staff. And if you don't believe that that relationship and you don't believe that connection, then the movie really falls apart. Um, I don't know. Also, I don't understand why this movie was so obsessed with soundtracks using songs from other movies, like uh, the song from Pretty Woman, which is used throughout this movie. Um, 
you know, but it's over now. I was getting really tired of that song, and it must have been love. And then uh, it uses, uh, let's see, what else? Then he kissed me from Goodfellas. It's like they couldn't come up with any original songs. They just probably you know watched movies from the nineties and two thousands. I told you why they moves. did that. It, it's it's lame. Get a better soundtrack than that. I hated the O'Shea Jackson speech at the end, the big reveal that he's a Republican. Oh, it, you know, it's so funny. And uh, you know, the leaked video was right out of a Seth Rogen movie. Very unoriginal. Beats we've seen before, beats we saw in the interview, quite frankly, which this movie reminded me a lot of, a movie that I didn't really like that much either. Um, I agree with you, Todd, that Jonathan Levine has shown talent in the past. I really like the whackness, but uh, this isn't 2006 anymore. He needs to grow up and make a more, more mature movie. Two stars, a generous two stars. All right. Yeah, I, 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 was, I even said after watching this movie, Terry's going to hate it and Zach is going to not be far behind, and that is exactly what happened. <laughs> and, I mean, I was just watching it. I was just like, man, this is exactly what I wanted this movie to be. And what you guys are saying you wanted the movie to be, I did not want it to be, and I would have probably been on your side if it actually was <laughs> more around what you're saying. Because this is what I wanted. It's a Seth Rogen movie. It is... Uh, it is a it's a funny Seth Rogen movie. He gets to do his thing, and he, and I think Charlize Theron is a really talented comedian. She's had some really good uh, performances in comedies like you know Young Adult and such. This I mean, is like this, this is like her performance in A Million Ways to Die in the West, though. I mean, she's she's really at the service of this dude who's not that funny, and and I think her character is underwritten and underdeveloped. And I, she is the best part of the movie. I agree with you, but. Uh, you know, no, I, she's I, not. The best part of the movie is her is her assistant. Yeah, she had a couple of good lines too. I mean, that's why I can't entirely hate it. There, there are a couple of good moments here and there, but overall, it's just a mess. I, it, it needed better writing. Well, and Todd, like you're saying, and you know, it's it. We were projecting what we wanted it to be. I actually went into this not really knowing much about it at all. Um, I I didn't really know anything i hadn't even seen the trailer for how this how long did it take for you to recognize andy Serkis? you know i Serkis. i i saw it kind of early on and then i was i was i i'm pretty sure that's who that is but i wasn't it was the second time i saw him i was like i know that voice i was like oh i know those teeth <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's andy Serkis. the Serkis de sod staying at the Serkis Serkis resort in las vegas exactly yeah yeah <laughs> But anyways, no, I, I, I went into it with zero expectations of what it was going to be, just knowing it was going to be a Seth Rogen comedy, and and coming out of it, I mean, it the reason why, I'm not saying I wanted it to be something, I'm saying it was trying to be something, it was trying to be like this political commentary in, wrapped up in a comedy, and it didn't work. All the political commentary was just for a laugh, and I mean... Like, Zach, you mentioned the speech at the end where O'Shea Jackson reveals something. I, I appreciated what it was trying to do, but it did it in such a horrible way that it just gave you more eye rolls. I, I don't know. See, but you don't believe... Okay, but you guys don't believe the relationship between Charlotte and Flarsky, and you don't believe the relationship between Lance and Flarsky. No, I, so I, did, I liked then... the relationship between Charlotte and Fred. Who's I thought. Lance? Oh, O'Shea Jackson. O'Shea Jackson, yeah. No, I liked the relationship between the two of them. I said they act- they had decent chemistry, and that was the one thing in the movie that worked, was whenever they were on screen together. Uh, it was just everything else just didn't make any sense. See, I, bu- I believed Lan- Lance and Flarsky, though. I-, I thought that was really good. I, I-, I love how r- right away they're like, yeah, we have a bad moment. Like, we would said we're going to go get the other one f***ed up. 
you know, and then, then he calls for LaCroix to be filled with Johnny Walker Blue, and they, like, start walking the streets. Like, that was, that, that that was, was pretty was good. Legit that was pretty good. That was the Lame. first time you see him, and you said you didn't buy it right off the bat. So you guys don't make any sense. Obviously, your rating should be higher than it. No, actually no, no. Is, so I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I hated discussion. the whole thing of uh, of. I'm the one with the corner office. I can I can go wherever I want. I can leave whenever I want. In fact, everybody take me that. That is so unrealistic. That, is, that was the stupidest scene I've ever seen. I'm in sure a movie. that actually could probably happen. That is so stupid. That's so stupid. There's no reason he could be where he is and have that that. Uh, that uh attitude towards his job and his business his his only weakness is his best friend like yeah. you can you, like he never does that unless this one thing comes up which is a very bad moment in one of their and lives. the rest of the movie you never see him in the office again like he basically quit when fred lost his job and he never you know, worked again were, it only la it only lasted like a couple weeks like the whole movie was spanned like two weeks you know, there's several scenes in this movie where there's a good setup, but the execution just really sucks. Um, one of which is the scene where they get uh, high on Molly, and uh, Charlize Theron has to basically uh, uh, resolve a, a, a crisis. I've seen that scene in so many movies. I've, I felt like this movie could have done a much more creative way of of showing that scene, and just it, it really wasn't funny at all the way that she resolved the situation. That very minimal level um, of creativity throughout the end scene, where there's a viral video released. Um, again, it just felt like kind of lazy writing. There wasn't really any kind of ingenuity or creativity in, in the way that that situation was resolved. I think the one moment that I, I think I only chuckled at once during this movie, and that was in in a scene that involved um the uh the two assistants for the charlie Theron character june june diane raphael and ravi uh, patel as it reveals they're in a sexual relationship that scene was kind of funny but even that scene i've seen in eight million other movies there's absolutely nothing that is original in this movie whatsoever so i'm not saying no, that th that that's a... scene in another movie would have been the prime minister and the assistant that are, are sleeping together not not the two assistants like that that would have been would have been a different movie, a not as good movie. I'm not saying that all comedies have to be totally original and totally like creative and you know breaking the mold, but I do think that for this movie to work, you have to believe the characters a little bit more and you have to buy into their relationship and their identities, and you just can't even in the first 20 minutes of this movie. It just is so unrealistic the way that it would happen. Um, so I don't know, Todd. I guess you know if you were able to suspend your your belief like you are, then you know I guess it works. But uh, I I don't know. I wanted something more grounded in reality. And and I'm a I'm a decent fan of what Seth Rogen is and what he does and what he can bring to the table, but I mean looking at his filmography, this is the first like decent movie that he's been at the at a lead for in three years, and this is what this is what it is. I I I was hoping something more would come out of it, but um, yeah, that's because he's he's too busy working on Preacher. He like directs and produces way more than he actually acts now. Yeah. Or good good boys, which I laughed more during that trailer than I laughed during the uh, movie Long Shot. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is with you and like kids cursing, just like in stupid Endgame. Like you think you think it's the funniest thing. That's so original. We didn't see that in Jerry Maguire twenty five years ago. You know, kids cursing in this movie would have been funny. It could have worked. It could have saved this movie. No, it couldn't have, but maybe it would have added the spark. I think they did. I think we had, like, young Flarsky 
you know? I don't know. He didn't curse. He just got a boner at an unfortunate moment. Yeah. All right. Which is like the most Seth Rogen scene ever. It is. It really is. Okay, so I'm... I, I will say the kid that plays young Seth Rogen was excellent, though. He was. That is a, a, that is a perfect kid playing Seth Rogen. He, he deserves an MTV Award movie nomination. The laugh. The laugh was great. Yep. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so yeah, Zach and I are giving it two stars. Todd's giving it three and a half, so we're split on this one. We cannot say this one is thrice approved, unfortunately. However, uh, uh, go watch it, see for yourself what you think, and uh, and join the conversation. Okay, so this is usually a time where we do power rankings. We've already done that, so let's hop into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And to start off with, uh, on trivia, we have a couple movies that we need to review that we were forced to watch. Uh, Todd, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can All go right, ahead. Todd, why don't you go first? Because uh, Zach won both of the last trivia games and got to force both right. of us to watch a movie. So tell us what you watched. Okay, I watched the 2014 Francois Ozone movie Young and Beautiful. And this movie is about a girl named Isabel, who is a 17-year-old who is underwhelmed by losing her virginity on a family vacation in the south of France. So naturally, the moment she gets home, she starts a job as like a high-end call girl for clientele who are men over three times her age. Uh, she keeps this a secret from her parents and from sort of from her little brother. Uh, but one thing leads to another, and she's like stuck in a situation where she's like emotionally and legally like in a really tough spot. Uh, even though the dramatic moments are a little overdone, uh, it's hard to really take them seriously. But the coming of age stuff and the sexual awakening stuff really do work. The first thirty minutes are really good. It's like an Adrian Lin movie or something, and Marine Vacht is the main actress, and she gives one of the best performances of 2014. I have her in my uh, best actress lineup. She's like a young Jessica Chastain, but carries herself like Daryl Hannah or something. Uh, She's really good, and uh, the conclusion isn't all that believable, but Charlotte Rampling is in the last part of the movie, so it actually kind of works. It's a decent movie. I had a good time watching it. It was never boring. I give it around three stars. Around three? Around three. Yeah, it's a 3. two and a half 2. to three. I, I, it's, it's, not, it's not an exact three. It's like a low three. It's on, it's on that border. Like a seven out of ten to eight out of ten, you know. B minus B-ish. Well, I'm glad at least we come to some agreement about something. Uh, this is a four-star movie to me. I thought this was one of the best movies of 2013. And I really like Francois Ozon's work. Um, and this is one of his... Maybe this is his best film. Um, I remember seeing this film, looking at the, uh, the the poster for it on Netflix, and it looked very, like, sleazy. But it's actually, a, I think, a very incisive and perceptive film. It is film. really sleazy. That's a good call. Well, That's it, why I said it's like an Adrian Lin movie. It looks sleazy, but it, it's really not. It's really more about... how 
how this girl is really isolated and alienated from her family and from the society around her. So she takes the only thing that she has any sort of control of, which is her sexuality, and basically uh, uses it to um, manipulate people and to gain some sort of perverse respect and authority. And the one relationship that she does find in the movie is with an older guy who uh, you know pays for her services. And I think those scenes really work in the movie. And it's hard to believe they work because you wouldn't believe that they would work but but they're really well done and you know you can understand her emotional vol- volatility and vulnerability i think the actress is amazing in the movie and i i believed the ending i i believed this movie from the first minute until the last frame and i really like the way it resolved i think you know clearly she was out of control from her family's perspective it's not like we could really have a heartful dialogue between her mother or her stepfather and, and this girl so you needed that charlotte rampling character to come in and sort of like you know, resolve the tension and and the situation, and I I thought it, the movie resolved kind of beautifully. The idea of the Charlotte Rampling character is completely ridiculous, but it works because it's Charlotte Rampling and because the main actress is really good. You should give it three point two stars, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a low three. It's 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 above a three. But I like your comparison to Adrian Lyne. Adrian Lyne would have made this movie in in the early nineties. That's that's a great that's a great call. All right. That's why I said it. So let's move on to the movie I had to watch. And uh, what I had to watch was the 2008 documentary Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. Uh, This was one that came out, or uh, that came up a couple podcasts ago as we were talking about spoilers. And and, um, Zach was shocked I hadn't seen it. So when I lost, I had to watch this one. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I, I did because this is everything you expect, uh, a documentary to be everything you want a documentary to be. And as, as close to a perfect documentary as you could possibly get, uh, it, uh, to give as little away as possible, it is, um, written and directed by, uh, Kurt Keen, who's a, um, small time filmmaker who uh, his childhood friend was uh, murdered, and he decides to start a documentary uh, originally just to kind of tell his story, and then it starts to take some twists and turns uh, as you learn a little bit more about his uh, about his murder and the circumstances around it, and some of the uh, the repercussions that come out from it. Uh, this is a movie that takes you on this insane emotional roller coaster. You experience every emotion possible throughout this of, of happiness, joy, sadness, grief, anger, depression. I mean, it is as you as you meet everybody, um, everyone that knew uh, this uh, this guy. His name was Andrew Bagby. Everyone that knew Andrew. Uh, as you get uh, get a little insight into who he was and and what a loss it was, uh, you see this emotional roller coaster. And as you see the twists and turns, and these are the best documentaries that always uh, that always ring ring true is when they start as telling one story, and as the story is told, the story takes a completely different turn and goes somewhere else. And that's what happens in this movie. And and where it goes is just jaw-dropping and devastating and yet still hopeful and inspirational at the end i i was in awe of this movie i watched it yesterday morning i haven't been able to stop thinking about it ever since um 
yeah, this is this is what what filmmaking is all about is movies like this. And uh, yeah, uh, four stars, easy four stars for this one. Uh, might be might be a new number one of two thousand eight for me. Um, absolutely blown away. Well. I, I saw it five years ago, and I still think about it all the time. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's for me, uh, it's in my top ten of all time now. It's my number one documentary of all time. Uh, you're absolutely right, Terry. You know, it's like that Jim Valvano speech that he gave at the ESPYs where he said, you know, you, you want to do three things every day. You want to laugh, you want to cry, and you want to learn something. And that's exactly what this movie is. It, it, it runs the total spectrum of emotions. You experience everything watching this movie because, you know, right away from the first, for the, for the first 30 seconds of this movie, you immediately get invested in who this filmmaker is, first of all, and then his relationship with Andrew Bagby. And then eventually, the movie goes in these ultimate you know twists and turns i mean there's you know it, it, it's uh it's a movie that you you cannot possibly anticipate the direction that it goes in but but one area that it does go in is that it really becomes less about even kurt and andrew and more about andrew's parents david and kathleen yes. who are really the mvps of the movie really the heroes of the movie and and, and in, in many ways it's about their relationship as parents who have to deal with this crisis situation and you watch some of those scenes especially when they kind of recall how they had to deal with you know the circumstances and how at one point david was kind of tempted toward actually having to commit a murder himself in order to say salvage this this crisis and you just think like this is this is unbelievable stuff. This is why documentaries are made. Sometimes documentaries are more unbelievable than anything fiction could could ever come up with. And this story is just unbelievable from beginning to end. It's never exploitive. It's it's never um, over the top because you see the filmmaker's uh, angst and anger throughout. And I think the way that he edited it and put it together from a filmmaking perspective is just remarkable. Uh, you know, there's a lot of quick cuts in this movie. There's ca- so many. Interviews. I mean, this is a labor of love. You know, this is the definition of a labor of love. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can't objectively speak about this movie. I think it's one of the the great movie going experiences of my life. Todd, you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah, I have it ranked as my number three documentary of all time. It's it's a special movie, and I almost feel like talking about it. We've already given away too much, and I <laughs> like it's it's something that you just need to experience and almost not even read the title to actually understand. Yeah, the title sort of a spoiler too in some respects. It, it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, amazing. Amazing. Thank you for making me watch that. That is that is what I like to get out of these uh, these forced viewings from uh, from our uh, our little games we play. So. All right. Well, since you won the last two trivia contests, you get to host trivia this time as Todd and I face off. So, I'm almost afraid to ask, but tell us what we're doing. Okay, so I think what we're going to do is, uh, I liked the method last time with the Boogie Nights trivia, where I will ask a series of questions, and one of you will turn off your headphones, and we'll see how that person does, and then the other one will come on. So, um, should I say what the category is for both of you, or should I hold off until... Save it. Save it. Okay. So, uh... Terry, why don't you take off your headphones and we'll start with Todd. Okay. And, okay. Sounds good. They're gumming off. I'll give you a thumbs up when we're ready. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so cool. So the category, Todd, this time is uh, weird. I'm going to name four characters from a movie that won Best Picture, and you have to identify what that movie is. And uh, okay. so I'm going to read them, and you have to tell how, me how many. How many are there? There, I have, I have ten that I'd like to do. So we're going with like more than 10% of all movies that have won Best Picture? Uh, I guess. Okay. Put it that way. That narrows okay. it down. Okay. So, so these, these are from, it's from, could be any Best Picture from any era. I will read you the names of four okay. characters from that movie. They're usually main characters, so it's not obscure characters. It's, mo- it's, okay. it's characters that are, are prominently featured in the movie. Okay, are you ready to go? Yes. Okay, movie number one. Eric Liddell... Harold Abrahams, Lord Andrew Lindsay, and Aubrey Montague. What was the second one? Harold Abrahams. Oh, jeez. Ah, West Side Story. That is incorrect. The right answer is Chariots of Fire. Next question. Next four characters. Conrad, Calvin, Beth, and Berger. Dr. Berger. Uh. Man. I'm going to say Dances with Wolves. The correct answer is Ordinary People. Next one. Uh, Mr. Gruffid, Agrahad, Bronwyn, and Mr. Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how you pronounce those. Like, uh, Gladiator? No, the correct answer is How Green Was My Valley. Wow. Karen, Denny, Broar, and Berkeley. How do you spell Denny? Like uh, D E N Y S. Uh, the the artist. Uh, that is incorrect. The correct answer is out of Africa. All right, we're we're killing it yes. here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Schuler Green, Kathy Lacey, Dave Goldman, and Anne Detry. Um, going to say uh, The Gentleman's Agreement. Correct. Finally. Wow. Nicely done. This <laughs> sounded so fucking. Cl- <laughs> okay, Whatever. next one Gene, Graham, Cameron, and Officer Ryan. Uh, is that Dances with Wolves? No, the correct answer is Crash. Officer Ryan, oh. Milton Warden, Robert E. Lee Pruitt, Karen Holmes, and Angelo Maggio. Oh, man. 
Say, say the first two again. Milton Warden, Robert E. Lee Pruitt, Karen Holmes, and Angelo Maggio. I'll give uh, you a hint. Angelo Maggio was in an Academy Award-winning role from this movie. In, in the Best Supporting Actor category. Angelo Maggio? Yes. Uh, this is terrible. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to say Unforgiven. From Here to Eternity. Okay. Phileas Fogg, Passpartout, Princess Aouda, and Inspector Fix. <laughs> oh man gosh F- Phileas Fogg may-, may be a familiar name for those who read the book that this was based on <laughs> I-, I remember reading this book as a kid that doesn't help me <laughs> that's like saying like Ben like watching what, what the MTV ben movie awards <laughs> Well, it's not green. Uh, it's not Green Book. I didn't read that book as a kid. Okay. Uh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I Inspector Fogg. <laughs> Inspector Fix. <laughs> Fix. Phineas Fogg and Inspector Fix. Yes. I don't know. I'm just going to say The French Connection, even though that's wrong. No, Around the World in 80 Days. And I'm, I'm going wow. to actually skip the next one. I'm only going to do nine because there's no way you would get the next one. There's maybe a chance you'll get the last one. Henry Gondorf, Johnny Hooker, Doyle Lonigan, and J.J. Singleton. Uh, man, it's... I feel like I know this one, too. I mean, you've seen all these movies. You've definitely seen this movie. Is that 12 Years a Slave? No, the correct answer is The Sting. The Sting. Ah, okay. That, I knew I knew Lonigan. Ah, I, could, so, I, couldn't, I couldn't put it on him. One on for board. nine, Todd. One okay. for nine. And I, you're, I think I and might right, have... You're right one. Your correct answer was a guess. Well, wow. I, I, I had narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's get Terry okay. back on. We'll give it Terry a thumbs up. All right, all right. Okay. Did I win? Uh, did you win? Yes. <laughs> well, it won't be hard for you to win because to- of the nine questions I asked, Todd only got one correct. Oh, wow. Okay. So all we're looking for is two correct answers. However, one. We're going is- for one. Exactly. You woke me up for a reverie. Um, yeah, uh, it's not about Sergeant Bilko. The category is I'm going to list off the, char- the, the names of four prominent characters from a Best Picture winning movie. After I list the four names, you have to tell me what movie they are from. Okay. All right. So all we need is two correct answers and you win this. Gosh, okay. Man. This this must okay. have been tough if Todd only got one. All right. All right. First one. 
Eric Liddell, Harold Abrahams, Lord Andrew Lindsay, and Aubrey Montague. And it's one, you said, right? Yes. They all won. No, no, this is a, they, these are characters from but they, they, a they Best all, Picture, best picture winner, you said, right? Yes. A Best Picture winner. Yes, these are not necessarily Academy Award winning performances. Right, 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 Some right, of them right. maybe, but. <clears throat> Say it one more time. Eric Liddell, Harold Abrahams, Lord Andrew Lindsay, and Aubrey Montague. And I did give some hints to Todd along the way, and I will make sure to give you those same hints about oh. some of them. I feel like I know this. Um, dang, it's not coming to me. We're going for one. Is this the one Todd got? No. Okay. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. You have a guess? Uh, um, Might as well just throw one out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, chariots of Fire. That is correct. Are you kidding? Okay, this question is bullshit because you have a character named Lord and you have a character named Montague and it's not West Side Story. No. How is that possible? It's not West Side Story. Because West Side Story... West Side Story wow. is the story of of, uh, of Romeo and Juliet and you have a Montague and a Lord yeah. and it's no, not it's the not. story of West Side it's Story. It's not because West Side Story retells they it in terms of like Hispanic gangs in New Maria. York. Yeah, Tony Maria. Yeah, but you didn't say you were naming the main characters. You were saying you're not naming just obscure characters. So those aren't. I I didn't think of it as the like, you're not naming the the two main characters. That was the only like British film I could think of that would have would have potentially had a lord in it. That that was the greatest. Other than West Side Story. That was the greatest. Hamlet. Pulling it out of your ass moment since Todd won on SMU back in Vegas last year. <laughs> Okay, all, all you need is one more, right. Terry. I, I still want to hear okay. all the questions, though. That's still... That's such crap. That was a terrible question. <laughs> all right, next movie. Conrad, Calvin, Beth, and Dr. Berger. Conrad, Calvin, Beth, and Dr. Berger. Ordinary people? Terry is the winner of trivia. Dude, Nicely done. All right, you, you, two for two. You ready for this? Neither of those I've seen. <laughs> Do you want to keep going, Yeah, I Terry, want to keep going. This... I want to hear the okay. rest of these. Next one. Mr. Gruffid, Agrahad, Bronwyn, and Mr. Morgan. Um, yikes. Uh, I don't even have a clue. Is this one okay, you gave a, gr- is this one you gave a, no. gave a, guess, a clue to Todd on? No, I'm just going to tell you okay. how green was my valley. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've Karen, seen that. Karen. Karen. Denny. Broer. And Berkeley. And because Todd asked, Denny is spelled D-E-N-Y-S. And these are pretty much going in the order of most prominent characters in the movie. Yeah, like yeah. the first credit on IMDb. Yeah, you didn't tell me that. So I, I, I don't know. I did. I said, those were, I said these were the most prominent characters in the movie. No, you said they're not obscure characters. <laughs> you didn't say that you were going with the main characters. I don't know. I don't know. Well, <laughs> out of Africa. Or else I wouldn't have guessed like half the guesses okay. I gave if, if I would have known that you were naming the main characters. Because I know what the main characters' names are in some of the ones I guessed. Philip Schuler Green. Kathy Lacey. Dave Goldman and Ann Detry. This is the one that Todd got. Terms of endearment? I'm wrong. No, gentleman's agreement. Uh, oh, yeah, I was never going to get that. That's the one Gene. he got? 
Y- yes. Gosh. Gene, Graham, Cameron, and Officer Ryan. I don't know. Crash. Todd, you oh. guessed on that one. You guessed Dances with Wolves on that one. I mean, that's just a bad guess. Um, you said Graham. There's a there's a Graham in Dance with Wolves, and there's, a, the and there's several officers. <laughs> Gene, though. <laughs> okay, uh, Milton. Gene, you dude, you're, I'm not. I'm not looking at the spelling. <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, Milton Warden, Robert E. Lee Pruitt, Karen Holmes, and Angelo Maggio. And I did give a hint for this one. The the uh, actor who played Angelo Maggio won Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, no. From here to eternity, Phileas Fogg, Passpartout, Princess Aouda, and Inspector Fix, and uh, the the hint I gave on this one, which which Todd gave me some shit for, was it's based on a book that I read as a kid, kind of like how um, Ben's list was based on the MTV Movie Awards that he watched as a kid. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh oh. Um... Phileas Fogg, I know what I know that. Um, based on a book you read as a kid, Oliver. Uh, Around the world in eighty days. Oh. Good guess. All right, last one: Henry Gondorf, Johnny Hooker, Doyle Lonigan, and J.J. Singleton. Lonigan. I know that name. This is a more recent one, I think. Um, Any guesses? The Hurt Locker? The Sting. Oh, the Sting. Okay. So, Terry got the first two right. He wins trivia by a whopping score of two to one. And I pulled those out of nowhere, too. Yeah, good job explaining the rules to both of us the same way. <laughs> Because you didn't do that. Well, uh, but, you know, if you knew the characters, you would know what movie they were from. And I said they weren't obscure characters, so... Yeah, but you didn't say they were the main characters. But in some cases, they're not. Like Crash, it's hard to say who the main characters are. I mean, I tried when I I could to make them the main characters, but in some movies, there are a lot of main characters. All right. Doesn't matter. I won. I never win, so I'm going to take it. Uh, All right, let's, let's wrap up this podcast with... Our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, Todd, since you felt you were gypped, I'll let you go first. Alright. Well, my quote comes from uh, the MTV Movie Awards in 2006 when Jake Gyllenhaal was accepting his award for Best Kiss for Brokeback Mountain. Uh, he said, uh, when we were shooting that scene, I thought to myself, I better win a f***ing award for this. And that is exactly how I feel about this podcast sometimes. Like after that, (laughs) after that trivia. Well done. Well done. I know. All right. Uh, my quote is, uh, from, um, from a, uh, Seth Rogen movie I liked. And that is uh, from Knocked Up. Is It is an exchange between uh, Ben Stone, played by Seth Rogen, and his dad, played by Harold Ramis. Uh, and his dad looks at him and says, I love you. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. 
And Ben says, I'm the best thing that ever happened to you? Yes. Now I'm starting to feel a little sorry for you. That's my quote. Why, and why does your Seth Rogen sound like J.K. Simmons? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I guess, I guess if, if J.K. Simmons were high, he'd sound a little like Seth Rogen. Um, I thought the line from, from that scene that you were going to talk about was how Seth Rogen basically calls out his dad for being a hypocrite for telling him not to smoke when he was smoking pot all the time. Like, that's the most, that's the most Seth Rogen line ever. That's true. That is a Seth Rogen line. I, I, I just like the, oh, man, I'm feeling sorry for you now. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Okay, Zach. My line is from the 2002 MTV Movie Awards. It is the best line award, and it went to Reese Witherspoon from Legally Blonde that year, and the line was, oh, I like your outfit too, except when I dress up as a frigid bitch, I try to not look so constipated. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Which you could say about this podcast too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In some ways. We do what we can not to look constipated. All right, and with that, we bring this to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Again, um, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Uh, find us at almostsideways.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. We will catch you in a couple weeks when, yes, we will be doing a deep dive into The Rock. Uh, so watch it over the next couple weeks and listen to our podcast when, uh, when that comes out. And until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.